0: go. Amen. Excuse me while I clear my throat. I don't know where that came from. You think I would be ready, right? What an awesome time of praise and worship, and it is Mother's Day, and I need to give a shout out. My wife, mother of our four children, is in the room. So thankful for her. My grandmother is in the room, and my mother is in the room. And they're in three different locations in the room, so don't worry, there's no dysfunction. It's all good, right? Uh, so thankful for them and so thankful for uh, Mother's Day, which we recognize can be a, uh, one of those days that in some ways can create mixed emotions, right? We, we can have mixed emotions about what we've experienced in motherhood, maybe from motherhood, maybe it's a reminder of loss, of of relationship, or other things. And so the song we just sang, this idea that that we're going to praise him in the highlands, we're going to praise him in the heartache, we're going to say, blessed be your name, right? He is the God that in all of life deserves our praise, deserves our worship. And today we're looking at, what does it mean to have a life of favor. We're not in the book of James, if you've been here the last few weeks. God gave me just a very standalone, clear word for today about what a life of favor looks like. And I think it's very appropriate, especially on Mother's Day, because mothers are filled with days that are high and low and are kind of all over the place. I, I heard a story recently of a mother who uh, had two small children a boy and a girl and they were in the other room and heard the boy screaming and yelling and so being the older child she wondered what could cause that kind of yelling from her son and so she goes running into the room to find the little girl like fingers and nails locked into his hair and just pulling and not letting go. And uh, she looked at her son and pried the fingers of the little girl off and just said, hey, she's tiny. She doesn't know what that feels like. Uh, you, we're just going to forgive her and kind of move on. Well, she left him in the room and in a few minutes later she hears The little girl screaming. And she goes running into the room, maybe you've heard this story, and finds the boy in there with his hands locked in her hair and he looks and says, now she knows. (laughs) There are moments where we're tempted to take life's challenges and want other people to know them and understand them. And when you think about motherhood, there are some things that are just absolutely a gift from God. And children do say the darndest things, don't they? I pulled a few quotes here from kids about mom. Uh, This is Alice, age four. She says, I love her because she gives me hugs, kisses, and cereal, and is as beautiful as a shooting star. And she tells me to be careful wearing socks on the stairs, you could slip. Annabelle, age 5, said, I love that my mommy hugs and kisses me and that she takes me to fun places. My mommy taught me that my family and my friends are the most important things in the world, so I want to be a great friend to everyone. Aw, right? Uh, Here's Pierce, age 8. She works really hard to take care of us, my brothers and me, and then she works just as hard to make other children healthy, too. And she told us to wear our sunglasses when you chop onions, (laughs) Dare you to try that and see if it works, right? Uh, Last one, Samara, age 12, said, "'I love her athleticism and silly voices, "'and she always tells me to be nice to my brother "'because then I achieve peace.'" So you get a little girl thinking about world peace and it begins with the brother, right? Uh, whatever this day represents for you, I wanna pray over us and pray us into his word as we look at a life of favor in all of what that can mean for us. No matter the season, no matter if we're a mother or not, no matter if we're male or female, God has something specific I believe he wants to speak to you today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to turn and to hear from you and what you have to say through your word today. Lord, as we turn there, we also want to turn our hearts towards you. Whether it's a good day, a tough day, a reminder of uh, the gift of motherhood or maybe of loss or even of waiting uh, for that opportunity, God, we give it to you and we trust that your grace and your love is sufficient and able and that you do favor us when we turn to you. So we thank you. Be with us now and speak through your word as only you can. In Jesus' name, everyone set? So as we look at this idea of a life of favor, uh, we're going to begin in Luke 2.52. And uh, this is a verse that speaks about Jesus and really describes what happened in Jesus' life from age 12 to age 30. It's really the only description we have of his upbringing. And here's what it says. It says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with men. If you're taking notes, a life of favor with God and with other, others changes lives and family trees. And it's based on this verse because if we look at what Luke 2.52 is saying and what preceded it, the first 51 verses of that same passage, we're reminded that Jesus, fully God and fully man, was born to an earthly family. When the shepherds arrived, they said that that he's here, the Messiah, right? Good, full of goodwill and peace towards man. We learn in the book of Matthew that shepherds or the wise men arrived shortly after and they worshiped him with gifts. And then they brought him into the temple and they presented Jesus. And there were people in the temple that began to worship Jesus in his infancy because they recognized the spirit of God on him. We get to age 12, and there's like this parenting mishap, right? Uh, Mary and Joseph have him at the temple, and and they actually leave, and they leave him at the temple. You ever left your kid somewhere? I mean, they did this from what we could tell. It's like a couple days, right? Like this was, they really messed up. So by the time they circle back to the temple, you have Jesus teaching the other religious leaders at 12 years old. And them wondering, where does he get this authority? Where does he get this teaching? And it's a phenomenal moment because you're getting a glimpse of the child's future and who he'll be. But you also see the humility in which Jesus carried himself. That actually that humility recognized who his father was and also who his earthly mother and father were. And it says that he returned home with them even though he could have probably asserted himself and stayed there. He knew it wasn't God's timing. It wasn't God's moment that that would come later, that he had some growing to do, that there was some things God needed to do in him and through him that, as we learn in Luke 2.52, would grow him in wisdom and favor and stature with God and men. Anybody else wanna get ahead of God sometimes? Anybody else want want a life of favor, but not necessarily maybe the humility that comes with it? If you're taking notes, humility is a key to favor. It actually leads to favor with God and with others. We see it in Jesus' life. He imparts it to us. God detests pride. He, He celebrates humility. In fact, humility is something that fundamentally means we acknowledge, God, I need your help, and then he favors us, And with others, it means I can admit to others, I need your help. I need you. And that humility opens the door for greater intimacy. Monica Baldwin, uh, an author, says this about humility. She says, what makes humility so desirable is the marvelous thing it does to us. It creates in us a capacity for the closest possible intimacy with God that it's actually humility that opens the door for greater capacity and intimacy with God, and I would submit to you with others as well, because we are able to admit our need. Now, you may ask the question, if God's favor changes lives and changes family trees, why are we just looking at Jesus like, what's in his family tree? Like, if you just climb up Jesus' family tree for a minute, you begin to see that there's people in his family tree that were favored by God, not because they had it all together, not because life was easy, but because God's favor and plan was unfolding. And actually we're gonna turn and look at the book of Ruth and we're gonna highlight a few characters from the book of Ruth that I think have a lot to say from Jesus' family tree about what it means to have a life of favor. Y'all ready? You hungry for the word? That came out a little squeaky. Word, I don't know. Turn to the book of Ruth, and uh, as we turn there, we're gonna look at three main characters, and I need to let you know what's going on. You have Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth, right out of the gate, three women that had experienced significant loss in life. Naomi had lost her husband, uh, Orpah, and not Oprah, but Orpah, and uh, Ruth had lost their husbands, who were the sons of Naomi. And in that space, they're grieving. There's a famine in the land. There's great loss. There's probably great fear. This is a, not a highlands, mountain moment. This is a low space, and one in which they're still favored by God. You're still gonna see that God's favor works in every season, and hopefully can be an encouragement to you today. We're gonna pick up in verse 11. Naomi has been trying to get the girls Orpah and Ruth to leave her because she doesn't feel she has anything left to give them, anything left to offer them. And so she's trying to push them away in her own pain and in her own sense of rejection and feeling forgotten and afraid. She's pushing them away. Verse 11, we pick up. It says, But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back. My daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter. Say bitter. Say it like you mean it, bitter. Bitter. There we go. To me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Ruth clung to her. She said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Now, these next few verses are a beautiful testimony to how God's favor will work through other people, will work in hard seasons, and even at some level is blessed when there's humility present. Listen to what Ruth says. Verse 16, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Like, can you picture a whole town seeing your moving truck and everyone's talking? I mean, that's what's occurring here. They're they're arriving into town, and the town is stirred and probably gossiping. We don't do that today, do we? Probably talking a little bit about the new arrivals. And you can imagine some of the narratives, right? Some of the stories are, oh, it's, it's... you know, Naomi, and it's, it's Ruth, and oh, yeah, boy, their life is a mess. They've lost everything. They've lost everything, and here they come. And, and in many ways, that stirring and that story that would have been t- talked about was really bad theology. I can't be more clear about this. When we equate the favor and blessing of God with everything being up and to the right and perfect, we miss that God is the same God in both spaces. That God is there and favors us with his love and mercy and grace when things are low and hard. He also is there when things are great and fruitful. And so they're stirred, and I believe probably talking with some bad theology. The whole town, it says, was stirred because of it. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. There's that word bitter again. She literally has allowed life's trials, hardships, and circumstances to rename her. Do we ever do this? Do we ever get to a place where we, we say, I, I'm not, I, I don't know if it's ever going to work out for me. I, I'm a loser. I'm a reject. I fail. I wasn't planned for. There's no purpose to my life. She had been through enough that she's calling herself by a different name because of this bitterness that she's holding on to and carrying. God can do something with our bitterness, and we need to stick to his name for us, amen? It says, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. If you're taking notes here, as we find favor in all of life, first note would be Naomi, that she found favor with God and with others, and brought blessing through life's trials. She is in a trial, but God is still working. She's in a difficult season, but God is still moving. She's in a hard place and bitter, but God is still orchestrating and moving. In fact, it's the very fact that Ruth won't leave her that is going to lead ultimately to her redemption. We never know exactly what God is up to. Romans 8:28 says this, that we know for those who love God, all things work together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. So God bends everything for our good that is a theological truth and promise that at some level I hope gives you some encouragement today because you've probably been through some life just like Naomi. Can I get an amen? And yet God will use it for our good. He will use it for his glory. He's constantly repositioning and ordering our steps. Now, this issue of bitterness is significant because in her bitterness, her family tree could in fact become defiled, could in fact become dysfunctional, could in fact miss some of the very favor that God wanted to bring. Look at what Hebrews 12 verse 15 says. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Why do I bring this up? Because the word is pretty clear that if we've been through some things and we're harboring bitterness, we're harboring areas of our life that we haven't allowed in humility for God to step in and to touch, that that bitterness, that wound, That hasn't yet become your testimony because you haven't allowed God to begin to heal it. And here's the thing, you can come to the altar and God can do it in a second, amen? He is a healer, he is able. But there are also moments and times where it may be that God's saying, I want you to go on a healing journey. I want you to actually talk to somebody else to humble yourself. You know, May in our country is Mental Health Awareness Month and we believe that actually God has gifted and given talents, put his spirit inside, mental health professionals, Christ-centered ones, i want to encourage you, if you're dealing with bitterness, if you're dealing with wounds that haven't yet healed, love yourself enough and love God enough to say, I need to humble myself and get some help. Because it'll help your home, it'll help our church home, it'll help our community, amen? And so as you think about that, Naomi actually had breakthrough that came later. She had breakthrough that came later that you see in the story because God in her bitterness began to heal her and began to use her. It's actually uh, J. Sidlow Baxter, an Australian pastor and theologian, that when he talks about hardships and problems in life, he says God will use these to direct us, inspect us, correct us, and perfect us. And that's the thread you see through Naomi's life, is God working and moving. Now as we jump to chapter 2, I want to highlight Ruth. I want to show you what God is doing in Ruth's life and how a life of favor looked for her because she probably was hurting, probably struggling, many obstacles in her life, but how she showed up and how God used her with that favor is pretty incredible. Chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of, I'm going to just say Eli, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said, by the way, wouldn't it be great to have a name like Boaz? Like if that's my name, I'm walking around, yeah, I'm Bo. (laughs) Do you know Bo? Do you know Boaz? You know, like, I mean, that's just a manly name, right? Verse two, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. There's that word favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of, again, I'm going to pronounce it Eli. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. What's happening here? He's noticed her. They've noticed her. She's gleaning She doesn't have any resources, she's serving, she's sacrificing, she's there at the field on the edges trying to do something to help provide for her and Naomi. It's a very humbling position to be in, it's a very vulnerable position to be in too. Verse six, I'm sorry, verse eight, then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? So there's a level of favor and protection now that Boaz is supplying. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Taking notes here, Ruth found favor with God and with others that strengthened her to serve and be a blessing in life's obstacles. She had lots of obstacles in front of her, but here she was strengthened by God's grace to serve and to sacrifice even though it probably was not how her flesh felt. You ever had one of those days? You ever, you ever had a day where you knew you needed to, to do the dishes or you need to make that meal, or or pay those bills, and you're just like, nah, I'm good. Nah, I'm good. In in my home, uh, the family knows, to some degree, if the words, I'm done, come out of dad, run, because the grizzly bear just came out, right? And truthfully, I'm not proud of that. I think I use the phrase less today as I've realized it than I used to, because I would often get to that place where I'm just like tapped out, And and yet, here is a reminder for me and a reminder for you that when we're in a season where it's hard and there's obstacles, God's grace is available. God's grace was strengthening and empowering Ruth to serve her family in this situation. And that favor that was there blessed her, blessed Naomi. It also was flowing out of a humility. Can you imagine? She's like picking up on the side of the field. Sometimes serving and sacrificing can be very humbling. It doesn't mean that God's favor isn't on it and with us and in it. In fact, it was that very act that would position her to actually receive what God wanted to do next. So be encouraged, if that's the season you're in, to turn to him in humility and say, God, I need your grace, I need your strength, I need your help to continue to serve, that act repositioned everything, repositioned an entire family tree. Let's look at it as we look at the last character, Boaz. Chapter three, verses one through 13, says that Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. There's some custom here that I'll explain in a minute. And he would tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Now, I just wanna make sure we don't miss this. There's a generational transition here. Mara, who's bitter, is now imparting wisdom. Even in her journey of healing, she's imparting wisdom. There's a humility within Ruth to say, I'll do whatever you're telling me to do. Again, God blesses humility and it creates new intimacy because we need one another. We need one another, church. We need God and we need each other And I know that message flies in the face of modern America, and if I'm honest, modern day Florida, because we're pretty rugged individualistic people here, aren't we? I got one yes. (laughs) We need each other. We need each other. So she says, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Can we just acknowledge that this is the Bible and it's sometimes a little strange and you too, if you were awoke in the middle of the night, would be startled if a woman, that you didn't know who it was, was at your feet, okay? What she was doing is positioning herself in a place of humility, a place of submitting and saying, I'm, I'm here for your protection, your covering. Listen to what she says next. Verse nine, he says, who are you? And she answers, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings, which would be a symbol of God's Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. The next day in chapter four, he's true to his word. He goes into town. None of the other family members who are closer as kinsmen redeemer will do it. They basically say, (laughs) she's yours, Boaz. Good luck. None of us want to take the risk. None of us want to you know, transfer our possessions and everything else. And and so Boaz steps up to the plate. If you're taking notes, Boaz demonstrates, again, this favor with God and with others that led him to give and bless in life's opportunities. She's serving in the obstacles. He's ready in a different season of life, a little bit older, a little bit more established. He's ready to step in and be a blessing and to give generously. And he does it in a way that redeems the situation, redeems her, and if you're wondering like, well, how does, all this, how does all this connect to Jesus? Well, because no one else would, and he did, because no other redeemer stepped forward, Boaz gets a claim to fame that actually out of his family tree, remember God's, God's favor changes lives and family trees. Out of his family tree would come King David, Then a little bit further down the line, King Solomon. And then a little bit further down the line, King Jesus would come out of this family tree. This moment of redemption, this moment of God lavishing grace and generosity through Boaz. As you think about that and what it means, I want to finish with a few verses out of Ephesians 1 because Boaz... Was a real person that also was pointing us to the person that matters most, Jesus Christ. What he did in redeeming Ruth and changing that family, Jesus does for you and I. Jesus looks at you and I and says, I want to lavish grace, I want to lavish favor, I want to lavish blessing on you. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 through 10 says it says, In him. We have redemption. There's that word redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. Verse seven is the key we have redemption, we have a redeemer through Jesus whose grace is available, he lavishes it on us because he favors those that turn to him in humility. The late Ray Anderson had a quote, he was a theologian, I love this quote, it's one of my favorite. He said that from Genesis to Revelation, the central message of the Bible is that God is good and he is for you. And when we read a passage like Ephesians chapter one, we begin to realize that when we turn to Jesus, he has a life of favor that he wants to pour out on us. And that it might look different in each season, but it's there and it's available. So let me ask you three questions to close here as far as application, as far as our next steps go. First is, are you acting more like Naomi, Ruth, or Boaz in this season. Maybe you recognize you have some bitterness or some wounds that need healing, and God's saying, bring it to me, bring it to me. Let let your humility and acknowledgement lead to your healing. What we reveal, God can heal. Maybe it's like Ruth. Where God's saying, hey, it's a, I know it's hard, keep turning to me. In all of the obstacles, keep serving me. I'm gonna show up, I'm gonna strengthen you. You're gonna deepen your walk with me because you keep serving and my grace will keep supplying. Or maybe it's like Boaz. Where God's saying, hey, it's gonna be a risk, but every step of faith is. Trust me, follow me, give generously. Let me use you to reposition others. That might be with your time, that might be with your talents, that might be with your treasure. Second question, will you step into a relationship with God today and receive his favor? Ephesians one reminds us that Jesus's grace and mercy and love is there and available. And here's the deal, you stepped into a church today on Mother's Day, whether you're online or in person, we celebrate that, we are so glad that you're here today. But you know what means more to us than you stepping into a church? It's you stepping into a relationship with God, saying, Jesus, I have missed you, I need you, pour out your favor on me. Third question, will you step into a relationship with others today and begin sharing his favor? Maybe you recognize that it's time for you to start to acknowledge that you need other people. Maybe you've been hurt by others, Maybe you've got good reason to be, you know, a little skittish, a little afraid. So did Naomi, so did Ruth. To some degree, Boaz probably did too. It's the human condition. And I would just invite you to say, God, I need you and I know I need others. Help surround me with the right people. Help surround me with brothers and sisters who love Jesus. Because in that space, together, We're going to grow and become who he wants us to be. I'm going to pray over us, and I'm actually going to read as a part of the prayer a blessing. I want to put it up for you. This is from Numbers chapter 6. And it's a very simple blessing, believing for God's favor and a life of favor. So I'm going to pray and then speak this over us and then we're going to go into a time of praise and worship and responding. The front will be open if you want to come forward for prayer. If you just need a little bit more room to praise and worship, move your feet a little. Some of you look like you're ready. This is the space. This is the time. So if you'll stand, if you're able, I'm going to pray over us and I'm going to read number six over us as well. God has a life of favor and he's I believe here ready and available if we're able to humbly say God I want to step into it so father we come to you now and we thank you for your son Jesus thank you that you change lives that you change family trees that you have favor available to us and blessing when we turn to you in humility So, Father, as we give you this space to respond, as we give you this space to praise you, as we give you this space to turn to you, I'm just asking that, God, your favor and blessing would be poured out. I pray according to Numbers 6, verse 24 through 26, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So Father, right now, we just thank you for the answer to that, the promise of it, in a life of favor found in you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Let's respond to him.